Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is The Dogs Program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools is here at 12 noon every Saturday to defend and to promote public education. And that's education that is public in purpose and outcome. It's not just public in funding, because these days so many of our institutions are publicly funded but in fact are being privatised or are private to begin with. No, it should be public in purpose and outcome as well as public in access, open to everybody. And it should also be the only one that is publicly funded because it should be the only one that is publicly owned and controlled. And it is more than time that our governments provided a first-class public education for every child in this country. If Finland can do it, if Germany can do it, if many other countries can do it, then Australia can do it. In fact, it did do it for 80 years until the 1960s when, because of the DLP, we had state aid given to private schools and it's been downward ever since. Now, this is the week that Mr Shorten uh, took the initiative and decided that the Labor Party was going to continue and to fund Gonski. He had to do it, of course, because this year is going to be the education election year, the public education election year. There are far too many middle-class parents with children who are falling into poverty and uh, privatisation never did, never will and cannot work. But Robert promised you this week that we would talk about TAFE and TAFE is what we are going to talk about. And Alan has promised me that he is going to send me material which will further uh, the information that we can give you about what's happening to TAFE and what has happened to TAFE. But we have put up on our website at www.adogs.info. That's right, we have a website at www.adogs.info. Press release 639. The human cost of TAFE privatisation. More than 60 years ago, in the 1960s, religious interests began a politically organised effort to privatise public education. Well-meaning Australians were snookered by talk of needs policies and declining standards. 
In the 1980s, corporate interests joined the privatisation push of the religious groups and they started to undermine the technical education system. Religious and private interests have waited like jackals on the sidelines hoping to pick up a few of the technical education pieces. And this they have done to the tune of billions of taxpayer dollars. How have we come to this pass where our young people are burdened with tens of thousands of dollars debt and nothing, nothing at all to show for it? In the 1980s, secondary technical schools, which offered alternative curricula and trained children wishing to become tradies, and they produced a lot of very good tradies too, they were closed. Religious interests had taken over the education department and Joan Kerner imported Jean Blackburn to do their dirty work to technical education. I know because I was there and I watched it. These much-loved technical schools of Victoria were expensive to run and they depended upon the initiative of what some call bushranger principles. Then... In 1982, the TAFE sector, that was the tertiary technical education sector, was taken out from under the education department. It's been a downhill trend since then, until under the neoliberal policies of the government since the 1980s, they have, in recent years, been hurtled further down the slippery slope to privatisation. And now, of course, we're watching them in the slough of privatisation. What does privatisation really mean? It means the alienation of the public estate at public expense to profiteers. The new private colleges have and are failing miserably in providing the next generation of Victorians and the same thing is happening elsewhere in Australia too, of course, with adequate skills for employment or indeed for survival. Corruption scandals are surfacing like mushrooms in spring and taxpayers watch while their children are much the poorer. The human face of the TAFE privatisation fiasco and the profiteering at students' expense. Henrietta Cook, in the age of the 26th of January 2016, told the story of what happened to 61 members of the Turkish community who were signed up to a diploma in community service at Keystone College, out Braybrook Way. The lady who signed them up happened to be a well-known Turkish singer called Bursel Akbulut, and she has staged a hunger strike outside the college in an attempt to claw back the $19,000 debt which has been incurred by these 61 students to whom she was persuaded to sell the courses. Now, I'm here quoting from the age of the 16th of January from Henrietta Cook when she wrote, Ms Akbalut said she was approached in August by Education Broker National Training and Development. And they sell courses for Keystone College. So you had this, these tiers of privatisation. You, you have a college and another group sells the courses and they employ people to sell the courses. 
And so they offered her a job as an independent course advisor. And she said that she was offered $600 for every student that she signed up. But she hasn't been paid yet, of course. Now, an audit by the Australian Skills Authority, Quality Authority, the National Regulator for Vocational Education and Training, previously has found that this Keystone College was not complying with rules covering the assessment of students before enrolment. But of course, they've been paid the public money, so how do you get it back? And uh, they hope to get it back, of course, from these students. The federal government has moved to rein in the industry by amending laws and freezing funding to private colleges that are accessing vet fee help, a hex-style loan system for vocational training students, to 2015 levels. But uh, that's not going to get the money back, is it? These students who've got nothing, who've ended up with nothing, uh, and who've been sent away by the college because uh, they are, their English isn't good enough, that's, that's the reason, um, they have incurred a $19,000 debt. Now, a spokesman for Keystone College said that the community services course that many of these Turkish students were enrolled in was being superseded in August and they were concerned some of the students would not complete it in time. So they're going to replace the course. So um, she said that new government regulations meant that the vet fee help students needed a higher school certificate or to, to complete a government-approved literacy and numeracy test. And the test is difficult for those applying to study who do not speak English as their first language. So she said the college had terminated its contract with the um, uh, group that uh, this national training and development that, were, that employed this girl to sell the courses to her fellow Turkish people. And uh, it was trying to recruit... Listen to this, a new Turkish trainer. Uh, so this is the way it goes. The new migrants who are desperate for jobs and training have been taken for a ride by uh, people who are just interested in getting the government cash into their coppers. Uh, they're just not fair dinkum. And of course, they won't be fair dinkum and they can't be fair dinkum. The only way to have a fair dinkum education system is to have one which is public in purpose and outcome, one which is open to all children and all, all students from birth to death because uh, people who want to learn in our community pay taxes and education and training is always for the common good. But uh, so you have to go back to basics with this. We're just waiting, of course, for, for everybody, including our politicians and ministers who refuse to be responsible ministers, to wake up that public money should be for a public purpose and there should be proper public accountability. And you can't expect that with people who are profiteering at others' expense and using education and the promise of training and a job uh, to profiteer at people's expense. So that's enough for me. Uh, it's over now to Robert, who is champing at the bit to talk about TAFE this week. 
Thank you very much, Jane. Welcome to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We are the defender of government schools. When we say government schools, we mean government education from primary school all the way, of course, up to the TAFE sector. Now, the TAFE sector, as Jean has quite reasonably pointed out, is now a hot-button issue when it comes to the way taxpayers' money is spent to educate the people of Australia. We have an in-depth investigation today, which we'll continue on with after these messages. Do you have a teenager aged between 12 and 15? The University of Melbourne invites parents to take part in an Australian-wide study called Training for Parents of Teenagers, or TEAPOT. The study aims to teach parents to recognise and respond to mental health problems in teenagers and first aid injuries through a free two-day course in either Youth Mental Health First Aid or Australian Red Cross First Aid. We call it TEAPOT. Please go to tpot.net.au to find out more. Sponsoring 3CR. Workers United, never be defeated. Workers United. Touch one, touch all. Racism, the fascist street and how unions can fight it. Come to this public meeting of unionists on Saturday the 6th of February at 2pm in meeting room 1 at Trades Hall. The union movement's strength is built on our diversity and solidarity, and if we don't fight, we'll lose. Speakers at this public meeting include rank-and-filers, organizers and officials from a range of unions. For more information, go to the Campaign Against Racism and Fascism Facebook page or SMS subscribe to 0422 726 843. The Campaign Against Racism and Fascism is a free CR supporter. Oh, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yes, um, here at the Dogs we've been indulging in a little bit of investigative, well, I won't say journalism because we're not journalism, but we're certainly an investigation into the TAFE sector here in Victoria and how things have come to pass. At the moment, it's a mess and we're going to investigate how it got into this messy situation. There's an old there's an old phrase, an interesting book written many years ago in Scotland. I can't quite remember the name of the author, but I'll, I'll come to it in a minute. Um, it was called Boiling a Frog, because it is either a, an urban tale, an urban myth, or in fact it might be true that if you put a frog in water and heat it up slowly, the frog doesn't notice until, of course, the water is boiling and it's cooked. And that's what's happened with our taste sector. That's what happens. That, that's what happened. Or that, that's what has happened with our um, trades and various other allied training colleges here in Victoria. It all started around about fifteen years ago, so it's a fair way. The water is tepid. The, the um, frogs happily are sort of swimming around in some in some nice tepid water. But what happened was it was decided that in Victoria our education services would start to be used to supply education services to students from other countries. Now, this in itself is, 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 is no problem. People want to come to Australia to get an education and then take their education skills back to their countries or even use them while they're here. It all works. But, um, of course, they don't get places um, in TAFE colleges, overseas students, unless they pay. And so there was an industry set up, started off small, where private education providers would set up in Melbourne and Victoria and various other places and provide 
what the TAFE sector was providing for the local students. They would provide for overseas students, and that is to say exclusively overseas students, um, an education service, for which the overseas students would pay through the nose. They would pay, they would get the training and the various certificates in, um, oh, I don't know, husbandry or in various automotive trades or it could have been in hospitality um, it could have been in hairdressing. And this was going on quite happily, probably for a three or four, five, six, seven years. People were coming from overseas, were paying a lot of money to get themselves trained at private training colleges here in Victoria. Now, for one reason or another, and probably something to do with the global economy, this whole thing took off. And all of a sudden, there weren't just three or four private training colleges which were exclusively educating people from overseas, but there started to be 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 or 120. In fact, the education industry in Victoria was dragging in from overseas a great deal of money. And, of course, these people come to Victoria and it boosts our economy and the state government was very happy that all these private training providers who were exclusively educating young people and old people from overseas countries was part of what was called the education economy here in Victoria. The industry. Indeed. It was an industry, it was an economy, and everything was chuffing along. Now, the quality of service provision for these training or these private training providers was functionally of no particular concern to anybody. How well these people were being trained um, didn't really matter as long as they brought money to this place called Victoria and these hundreds of various training colleges who were providing, as I say, education services exclusively for people from overseas, not for, not for locals, was considered to be a boon for the economy. And yes. then in the late 2000s and up to 2010, um, as part of a federal government initiative, um, one of the federal ministers for education decided that, hang on, what's going on here? People are now coming to Australia, getting these skills, and at the end applying for citizenship because this whole training process, why were there so many people coming from overseas to get educated in, in Melbourne? Part of the entire benefit of this process, of course, is that these people could then migrate here um, and get citizenship in Australia because they had completed their courses. Now, because there was some concern about immigration to, the, to Australia, the federal education minister said, oh, hang on. Now, I'm going to toughen up on all of this because this seems to be like a paid backdoor way to get yourself an Australian passport. And the education, federal education minister did. Almost overnight, those regulation changes at a federal level, plus, dare I say it, um, a number of violent incidents here in Melbourne that related to overseas students, combined to create a situation where a very large number of these private training institutions found themselves with no students. As a business model, the idea had peaked. A lot of money had been made, specifically from people from overseas, but the party was over. Now, around about the same time that this happened, it was decided that the TAFE sector, that is, the government-run TAFE sector, was proving to be quite well, in, in terms of the state government, was considered to be quite expensive. And there are a large number of these private education providers at the same time saying, well, we're very happy not to take students um, from overseas. We can replace those students with students from here, local students. 
And so the private providers, who by this stage had been quite wealthy and now their business model was broken, decided to lobby the state government. And the state government, it was, this was in fact the Bailiw government at the time, um, the state government said, well, we can save some money. And so the lobbying of the private education providers was deemed to be advantageous for the state government, who then decided to take money away from the government-funded tank system in large tracts and large tranches and give it to these private education providers who had previously been providing training for overseas students and now would be providing education for local students. Now, when you start educating local students, of course, then you start talking about taxpayers' money. We have various systems in Australia. They vary from state to state, of course, where a student can enrol in a course. Let's just call it um, cooking. They can enrol in a TAFE course. The government gives the private provider all of the money for that course up front, and then the student, over time, it is decided once they earn a certain amount of money, can pay that back. So the revenue streams for these private education providers was, not, was no longer coming from overseas. It was coming from taxpayers' pockets. Now, previously, probably to our shame, we hadn't really cared about overseas students getting a good education here in Victoria. But once it's taxpayers' money and our children, this then becomes an issue. Now, this issue has recently come to the fore um, because what has happened is these private training providers took their business model of educating overseas students and just translated it onto the local market. Now, the overseas market was, of course, you would educate the student for as little money as possible and take the fees. There would be a difference between the amount of money that the student paid and the amount of money you spent educating that student, and that, of course, would be pure profit. And in any case, it was really only a fee to get a visa and, um, and uh, citizenship, wasn't it? Um, in many cases, Jean. I mean, it has actually been proven that that is the case. I can't say that's true in all cases, but certainly in many cases because the system was opaque, no one was interested in overseeing it, and no one was, was particularly interested in overseas students getting a good education. But that situation is now long gone. We're talking about a whole series of private training colleges. Let's not call them training colleges, let's call them businesses who are there to get a profit for their private owners or or deliver a return to their shareholders, whichever way it is, it's just a profit. We have these private education providers who are trying to educate, educate, inverted commas, for the smallest amount of money possible. Now, because this has been opaque for so long, um, this has been functionally gotten out of control. The frog now is truly well and well and truly boiled. Um, we are now in a situation where there should be, functionally, a royal commission into this scandal and people should be held responsible, in particular and specifically the ministers responsible, the current minister, of course, and the ministers before. They should be sanctioned and they should be held to account. Now, I'm talking about a scandal. It's about time I got into the specifics of what's actually going on in the privatised vocational, um, vocational education industry. Now, an interesting article on in The Age, which it goes back to the, oh, the end of last year, but I think it's very interesting and instructive, by Michael Blanchard. And he said on the 3rd of December, and I think it's instructive, that the competition czars and economists are pushing to an open governmental door when they argue 
more human services should be delivered via the private sector. Now, indeed, the Harper Review, seeking to revive competition policy in Australia, has spruced the outsourcing of public service delivery as a way of increasing choice, efficiency and productivity. The market, these people say, can solve most problems, both social and economic. Now, they're referring, of course... The market has just brought the global economy to its knees. (laughs) They're crazy. (laughs) And quite interestingly, urged on by the business community, the government here in Victoria agrees. <laughs> but even as these messages of, of the private sector solves all problems hit the newsstand, nobody drew the most obvious possible link with another big news story of the day. And that is how privatisation as a significant public good, okay, get that, as privatisation as a significant public good, has this year, that's his 2015, and 2016, it's not going to be much better, has turned into a $4 billion get-rich-quick scheme for shonks and shysters running privatised vocational education services. Now, he's not holding, he's calling them shonks and shysters. Now, the Australian private vocational education system is now almost twice as expensive as Labor's home insulation scheme that prompted a royal commission. Now, those growing rich on government funding are the operators of private colleges and, as Jean quite rightly pointed out, the brokers, who are in fact the salespeople operating door-to-door or from hothouse call centres who sign up the poor, the uneducated, the mentally disabled and those living in Aboriginal communities for useless online diplomas at a cost of $20,000 each. For reference, that's twice what a year studying medicine at Melbourne University costs. In return for their lifetime investment, these new, and this is in inverted commas, students, most of whom will never study at all, get a $300 laptop. The great unwinding of vocational education began and this is according to Michael Blanchard, almost a decade ago. I think it goes back even further. I think it goes back to the 1980s and further than that too. But it was uh, 10 years ago, indeed, when the states cut funding for TAFEs, like really cut them, and the stodgy, expensive bricks-and-mortar government-run institutions that generations of people once looked to for when their skills needed upgrading. Now, in the place of TAFE... State governments slung money at private operators. In words that could have been taken from any Liberal economist since the 1980s, but quoted here from last week's Harper's Review of the Economy, they were, and I quote, promoting user choice and encouraging a diversity of providers. And I continue to quote, choice and diversity have the potential to improve outcomes for users especially, but not, not only, by stimulating innovation, the review God says. <laughs> innovation in sh- for shonks. <laughs> well, the reason I'm talking about Victoria in relation to this is that both Victoria and South Australia were very early movers because we were just getting over what Kennett had done to the various other school systems. In Victoria, the barriers were reduced to entry and basically those barriers... Hundreds of new players were given a license, just given a license to call themselves a college and market to and teach students. 
course design for these inverted commas colleges was left up to the colleges <laughs> so they could provide education when and where students needed it. Courses, it was believed, would quickly adapt to a fast-changing needs of the industry. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right, you know. I, I, I came across, I think it was a Menzies College, wasn't it, that was going to teach um, how to make uh, people, young people, how to become motor mechanics. And they were going to do this in, a, in an old garage that didn't appear to have any any um, requirements in it. Didn't have a uh, car jack, didn't yeah, have a no, hoist. No, yeah. But um, that's right, because we don't have a car industry anymore. That was very innovative to, of them to realise that <laughs> there was not going to be any need uh, for these people to actually uh, be car mechanics. Yes, what Jane's referring to is a particular anecdote and incident that happened before the change. This happened before the shift. This is when private education providers were not providing education to Australian citizens but were exclusively providing those training opportunities to overseas students who were paying through the nose. Now, of course, that's no longer true. We're talking about education by shonks and shysters for the children of Australia, for locals, for citizenships, for the people of Melbourne and Victoria and that indeed around Australia. That was 10 years Australia. ago. Yeah, yes. Ten, you're right, you're right. Mm. It was 10 years ago. Mm. Because all of the students you're talking about came from um, either... India. Well, the subcontinent in Southeast Asia. Yep, yep. I don't think I'm not quite sure it was India, Jane. I think it might have been various places in the southern yep, sub, yep. In, in, in the subcontinent. Malaysia, all of those places. Yes, you're right. Back to this article by Michael Blanchard. Um, of course, they were just the idea is that you send it out to the market, and the market solves all problems because there'll be this thing called innovation that happens. But of course, what too many of them of these colleges did instead was adapt what they were doing to the funding model and serve their own needs for cash. They wrote the cheapest possible curriculums and delivered them online, reducing the quality and indeed the length of courses, while still charging the government the full amount. They virtually eliminated testing and standards and sold these new slimline courses far and wide. There's going to be a lot of more of this, of course, at the tertiary level. There's going to be um, even the secondary and the primary level, I suggest. Well, that's no. the that's the schools of the future. Well, what happened was, of course, in 2014 and 2015, is that nursing home residents were signed up en masse to become IT professionals. Mm. Pharmacy assistants started turning up with Cert three qualifications and no idea what an analgesic was. Now, there's a sub-industry in this of third parties or salespeople, and that sprang up to find the students to feed into the fast-growing machine. And people, they really got rich. And they got rich because of, guessed right, choice, diversity and innovation. Now, instead of learning from these disasters... Because it is a disaster. It's just a straight-up obvious disaster. Everyone knows it's a disaster, so what are we going to do? Instead of learning from these disasters, the federal government, under Labor, repeated them. A 2012 Council of Australian Governments Agreement extended hex-style loans to vocational education for the first time. 
calling it a VET fee help and extending Commonwealth funding to diploma courses. Commonwealth funding to diploma courses run out of private training colleges. Now, limits on those eligible to register a college, that is, people who want to set up a college, limits are virtually nil. The amounts they could charge per course were uncapped, and the curriculum assessment was left up to the colleges themselves. There was no minimum standards for entry into course and no limits to the number of courses for which an individual could sign up. The lifetime limit for VET help loans was almost, get this, $100,000, creating a huge honeypot of potential money to lure unscrupulous salespeople. There were few restrictions on these salespeople's behaviour little policing and no cap on the total cost of the scheme because the government expected the students to pay back their loans. A feeding frenzy ensued. Salesmen who had been kicked out of selling retail electricity after big Australian, after big Australian competition and consumer commission fines for false and misleading conduct started to work now in vocational education. Regulators were underfunded and the legislative rules on college behaviour were so light that they had very little with which to work in any case. After a few years, thousands of people were saddled with debts. Colleges and brokers are making off with the cash and the government still pretends that this money will be repaid. The new Federal Minister for Vocational Education Skills, Luke Hartsucker, is now finally cracking down. On Tuesday, he announced a funding freeze and other emergency regulation measures. But the horse has bolted. We will not know the final sums until 2016, or the middle or the end of it. But it seems like a figure of $4 billion was wasted in 2015 alone. And that might be a very conservative estimate. It has been left to the ACCC again to try to claw back some of the money from colleges that might simply well go broke and disappear. Now, thinking back to home installation and back to power industry privatisation, vocational education, these are all examples of the government using private sector operators to deliver a public good and being rorted I would say stuffed around. That's all of us, by the way, in the process. But this has been happening at the primary and secondary level with the private religious schools for the last 50, 60 years and nobody wants to know about it. Uh, And it's what happens when public money is handed over with almost no strings attached to private enterprise, whatever that enterprise might be. And it's no way to educate a nation. Now, returning to the Harper Review, which happened in the last half of 2015, the Harper Review sort of recognises these problems, but only in the the most gentle and light of ways. (laughs) The Harper Review says, while user choice, 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 should be at the heart of service delivery, it says governments should retain stewardship, (laughs) particularly over regulation with a clear focus on outcomes. What on earth does that mean? Mm. These are pretty words, according to Michael Blanchard, and let's hope that in design of the new productivity agenda, 
the government into 2016 knows how to translate these pretty words into some form of reality. Um, we'll be returning with a little, uh, as I say, more analysis on what's going on with the TAFE sector after these messages. A new illustrated book by Alina and Bruce MacDonald stars our beloved comrade Bill Della as the protagonist in a journey that stems from Ballarat to Humpty Doo and features all the lefty issues that were dear to Bill's big heart. 3CR has a few precious copies of this beautiful book for sale for $20 plus $5 postage. All proceeds will go to the Solidarity Breakfast Program's Radiothon Fund. You can buy it online at the 3CR shop. Go to the 3CR website... 3cr.org.au or pick up your copy at the station. Express Media is proud to present issue 102 of VoiceWorks, Defiance, featuring more of the best fiction, non-fiction, poetry and visual art from young Australians. This issue of VoiceWorks takes you from phantasms to canine astronauts, exploring sheep dips and shipwrecks, and is available from all good bookstores and online. If you're a writer or an artist under 25, send us your work. Check out our website, voiceworksmag.com.au. VoiceWorks is a 3CR supporter. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Here on the Dogs today, we've been talking about TAFE and what's left of TAFE as opposed to the private training provision, which in fact has ended up being a complete and unmitigated disaster. If you look at it from the outside, if you come from a place like Germany or the United States or even somewhere like North Korea, you look at what we're doing and you go, you're crazy. What are you doing? But we still do it anyway because we seem to be caught up in this free market theology that private provision of public service is somehow always the better thing to do, whereas in fact it is demonstrably stupid. I think that because we have put into Parliament people who are from the private sector in education, that we are now finding out that they have been very, very badly educated indeed, (laughs) particularly in the proper procedures that are required in a democratic and even a, 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 even an accountable government. Um, they are very poorly educated people at... Uh, are quite shocking that we have in charge of this country in Canberra. Indeed, and I think we're going to continue this investigation and not hear what we have to say, or indeed hear what politicians or even journalists have to say. Let's hear about the tradespeople themselves. Because the tradespeople themselves are the people that are dealing with the consequences of this. When people come out of these privately run VET training courses as a sparky or a plumber or a tradesperson, it is assumed that if they've done that course, they can do the job. I mean, even perhaps even as an apprentice or at a low level or supervised, but it is assumed they can do the job. When you talk to the tradies, they'll tell you something completely different. In fact, in one of the trade magazines, and it's a very interesting article here called The VET Drama Continues, it's by a bloke called Brett Brett Bates, who in fact is part of a trade association. And he says if the VET system were a racehorse, the track officials would have put up the screens (laughs) with a real vet, as in a veterinarian, and mercifully delivered the coup de grace. It now seems that every other day the media exposes another privately operated registered training provider that masquerades as a tokenistic school, college or institute. Mm. Many have acted in a highly unscrupulous manner by peddling their training packages to persons who can't realistically be expected to complete the course of study. 
He says a common factor in most cases has been the offer of a free laptop or free iPad for prospective students who are willing to sign up. The excuse used by training providers to explain this generous legacy is that as their training content and assessment is delivered almost exclusively online, the device is merely an educational tool on loan to the students rather than being a lucrative incentive. Now, the federal government has paid out hundreds of millions of bucks, four million in fact in 2015, to such RTOs, while incurring future liabilities of billions of dollars from student loan schemes known as the VET fee help. Now, it's supposed to operate as HEX does in the higher education sector. However, highly disreputable VET merchants functioning as legitimate RTOs seize the opportunity to gather the upfront payments from the government with little or no credibility as to the value of the training courses being offered or the likelihood that their students would ever be in financial positions to pay back the debt. Now, this trader says it's truly shambolic, which is the price, precise word chosen by Malcolm Turnbull to describe the VET scheme, because he's right. Unfortunately, the PM's rhetoric was not being matched by any action with his education minister, Simon Birmingham, basically tinkering around the edges to stop obvious rorting in a highly flawed system. So how and why did it all go so wrong? He says, far more learned minds than mine have been engaged on the first matter. Senate inquiries and hearings conducted at state and federal level by reported or are due to report, and such is the case in New South Wales. Yes, well, on the matter of the future of the building and construction sector, he says, I can offer the following observations from the coalface, so to speak. The deregulated VET environment has unsurprisingly generated a significant amount of interest from private RTOs who offer nationally recognised training in trades and post-trade building and construction courses. Now, this generally relates to Cert three level trades through advanced diploma courses. The principal focus is on the insurance of qualifications with, I've called basically the following, Cert three in bricklaying, Cert three in carpentry, Cert four in building and construction, a diploma of building and construction, an advanced diploma in building and construction. Now, these are the fundamental, I hate to use a pun, but the building blocks of an education for um, how stuff gets built and maintained here in Australia, bricklaying and carpentry and other building trades. Now, at first glance, the premise of allowing privately operated RTOs to deliver trade, technical and professional training within building and construction disciplines would be viewed as being more beneficial than maintaining the traditional model of kids going to TAFE and indeed universities exclusively to deliver such training. He says it was theoretically increased the number of trained and qualified personnel feeding into the building sector, which can only be a good thing, he says. But here comes the but. (laughs) But the complexity of introducing a market-driven business model which naturally must be profit-focused and that can also guarantee high-quality educational training and valid, uniform assessment outcomes must be scrutinised before we can indulge in self-congratulations and backslapping for being so clever as to think that this was a great idea. He says, firstly, the policing of both public and private RTAs is undertaken by the federal agency, which is called the ASQA, which has spectacularly failed in its capacity to weed out even the most flagrant abusers operating in the VET sector. Now, the ASQA 
has only now become a little more active when the clients of poor quality training providers have made formal complaints, like the one that Jean was mentioning at the beginning of this show. Or alternatively, gone straight to the media (laughs) about a lack of course content and training support or when the media investigates another reported scam in the practices of these brokers that we we were talking about just previously. Now, the clients of many private RTOs who deliver construction, trade and building qualifications nominated above are highly unlikely to make any complaints. They aren't drawn to enrol with these particular training organisations because of the promise of a free laptop either. What they are strongly drawn to is the offer of obtaining a fast-tracked qualification, often in as little as just 13 weeks. And is this how we're producing our electricians? Yep. Yep. And that's actually 26 days. This is dangerous. It's dangerous to the lives of other people. Yeah. And the face-to-face training, inverted commas, component usually takes place on weekends. Now, there are several such organisations that are using high-profile television and sports stars to heavily promote their training schemes. Now, universally, the delivery assessment of the student's competency is drastically shortened from what would normally be considered as adequate training um, to use the process of what's called RPL. And this RPL is is, is one of the nuts and bolts mechanical things of why this thing is a mess. And I'll, I'll tell you what RPL is. RPL is recognition of prior learning. Mm. Now, once again, as a conceptual idea, RPL is logical. Why train someone and then test them in a particular aspect of a skill and knowledge when they already possess an adequate level of skill and knowledge? The big problem is, of course, the subjective nature and motivation of the person who is making that RPL judgment. Not the person who's saying they've got it, but the person who's assessing it. And the evidence, inverted commas, they rely upon to make it. When it's associated to a profit-centred business model linked to an organisational objective to process and issue qualifications to as many of their clients as quickly and easily as possible, then you have created the perfect storm of conditions where there is a high probability of serious conflict of interest. Now, if the course being offered was for, let's just say, hairdressing, the worst consequence would be that a qualified person will give you a bad haircut. Now, this particular tradie says that's not a big problem, but I know people out there that getting a bad haircut will not just ruin their day, but ruin their self-image. So maybe a, a bad hairdresser is no good thing. But he's pointing out that wait a few weeks, he says, and your hair will grow back. And then don't go back to the rec- or recommend your hairdresser to any of your friends. Market forces will dictate that they probably won't be a hairdresser for very long. But, he says, when the qualifications being issued by the RTO are intrinsically linked to obtaining the insurances of a building contractor's licence across states and territories of Australia... Then you are setting up a scenario for a catastrophic rise in the number of consumer complaints and the incremental rise in the risk to health and safety and amenity of future building occupants and users. In this situation, it's if the nation is getting a bad haircut. 
Now, this particular trader, Brett, Brett, Brett Bates, says it's time for the Prime Minister and his close colleague, Mr Baird, up in New South Wales, and indeed Mr Andrews down here in Victoria, to actually sit down and consider the ramifications of failure to act to prevent the risk of a generation of qualified builders, and that's in quotes, who will leave, leave a highway of defective construction problems and safety risks right across Australia's built environment. There was outrage about the death of a few boys who were put into uh, the scheme for uh, the, um, the insulation scheme, yes. And, and everybody was very upset about the death of those boys. Uh, and they, of course, were unqualified. They should not have been employed in the first place uh, because they didn't know about electricity. But this is much bigger, much, much bigger. Uh, when you're dealing with people who will be in, build- in buildings uh, dealing with electricity and also plumbing and other matters, uh, this explains why so many of these houses that are being put up, in fact, do have faults in them. It's, um, what happened to the apprenticeship scheme, I wonder? Oh, it costs too much money. It takes too long. This is it, of course. Technical education is, in fact much more expensive to run than um, academic education. It costs a lot more to produce a tradie, a good tradie, than it does to produce somebody who uh, knows about literature. It was always the case. The technical schools were very, very good schools, but they were expensive. And to get the money into them, you produced often bush ranger principals who had very interesting relationships with the... um, the businesses in the town and so on. But um, it was the same with the railways. We've lost a lot of the uh, expertise uh, with the railways so that now, of course, we've got uh, real problems with the infrastructure. Who's going to fix up the infrastructure of our railways and who is going to pay for them? Where is the expertise gone? They've got rid of it because they privatised it. And now they've privatised the vocational education which produced the tradies who knew what to do to keep our railways safe and operational. Well, not just our railways, the houses we live in. Uh, Bruce Christopher, in response to this article by uh, Brett Bates, says, and I think it's interesting and instructive to share what his idea is, because he's a tradie as well. He said, good to see this issue continuing to be highlighted. He thinks the lack of due patience is indeed an increasing trend that feeds these opportunists. Perhaps there's room for short courses, he says, to reach a level of limited non-tradesperson competency to work in an industry in a support role where there is qualified oversight. But too often resources are stretched and workmanship is not scrutinised and many times compromised. Bruce says his experience is with mechanics, plumbers, fitters, welders, builders, to the extent now where I think a good almost job's good job almost comes down to the flip of a coin, having to be far more diligent to find the right people. This can give skilled trades a bad reputation if it's not turned around, and there's no shortcuts, he says, to achieving a trade or professional qualification. Years of training, ongoing mentorship and pride in workmanship. He sounds like a bit of an old school dude, but quite frankly, if you want, if I'll, if a sparky's coming into my house, I want to make sure he knows what he's doing. <laughs> you know, because I, I don't want people to come into my house and get electrocuted. I feel real bad. Well, I, I don't mean, want you to be electrocuted either, well, Robert. That's right. <laughs> and and what he's saying is you can't tell because we've now had half a generation's worth of shonky shonkiness going on. 
And people will say, oh, it's a problem. It's now recognised as a problem because they now have currently, in 2016, new laws uh, to protect students from, listen, uh, from, from being misled. But how can these laws be applied? Mm. It's really, really simple. If you set up a system that's a problem, <laughs> then you just get it out of the way. We had a system that worked. Yes, it took time to train an electrician. Do you know why? It it's takes time to train an electrician. And it's expensive. Yes, yeah, yeah. And it costs, it costs time, effort and energy. And it's something that, you know, I, I want there to be good electricians around. And I think most people mm. do. And do you know what? I'll, I'll pay them for it because mm. they spent the time doing it. I mean, that, 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 that's the way the world works. There's just some things that take time. I mean, you know, it'd be ridiculous, of course, for me to say that, you know, you can get yourself a degree in surgery from a VET program. Mm. But, but you know what? I mean, it's, it's, it's not black or white. You can't just say, oh, it's only a hairdresser. Who cares? You can't say, oh, it's just only a sparky. Who cares? I care. <laughs> and how can I say it? If you've got something that's so broken... You start again. And do you know what? There's a really good model. There's a really good model for how you educate people in the trades, be it cooking, be it cutting hair, being be sparky, a bricklayer, a plumber. There's a really good model, a model that works. It's called TAFE. Mm. It's still working. So why not take the money out of these shonky providers who aren't doing the job and put it back where it was in the first place? I wonder uh, what would happen. And just if Turnbull, if Turnbull wake up in the morning or <laughs> wake up in the morning and said, oh, sorry, mate, stuffed up. Anyway, it was all Labor's fault. Right, we're going to fix this. That's it. That, I mean, you can blame anyone you like. Blame, blame mm. the Greens. I don't even care as long as you fix it because there's only one way to solve this problem and that is, of course, to go back to where you started. Anyway, you're listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll be concluding our program after these messages. Politicians and mainstream media are fueling anti-Muslim hate. Attacks on Muslims are increasing and the fear is causing some women to restrict their movements. Worse, an anti-Muslim political party is launching in October. It's time for people who oppose bigotry to organise. Stand up and speak out against Islamophobia. Sign the statement at www.voicesagainstbigotry.org and ask others to do the same. Don't be a bystander. Voices Against Bigotry is a 3CR supporter. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Yeah, I wish Turnbull and um, Birmingham would do that, but no, they're not. What they are doing is this. It's all rather disappointing. The plan to introduce new laws to crack down on vocational education but not get rid of them. <laughs> now, providers apparently will be required to check liter- literacy and numeracy skills before students can start diplomas. Who's overseeing this? You know, We ask them to check. A, a self-regulatory environment. They say, oh, yeah, we checked. Can we check mm. that you checked? No. Nah. Mm. That's commercial incompetence. It's contempt. This, yeah. amount of, this government has contempt for, for it's common sense. It's very dangerous when people have got 
contempt, not only for you and me, but for just plain common sense. Now, the Australian Schools and Quality Authority have, in fact, closed down a couple. Um, they've closed down the Australian Careers Network, the Phoenix Institute, which is a subsidiary of the, of, of the ACN network, and, and they can now no longer uh, provide education services here in Australia because they were deemed to be shonky. Do we get the money back? No. What about the kids? Do they still have the debts? <laughs> yeah, of course they do. Oh. What a lot of them. What a mess. A spokesman from Contempt. the um, ASQA cited complaints from students as to why this was happening, saying the resulting scrutiny had uncovered significant non-compliance and all that sort of stuff. But you know what? If I was a student of Phoenix Institute, I'd be keeping my mouth shut. Don't blame them. They, they, they've got themselves a debt. <laughs> and you know what? If they complain about it, they're not going to get another free course after that. The whole thing has structured such that, I mean, how do you get corruption? I mean, how do you get corruption in Egypt or Australia or North Korea? It doesn't really matter. How, how, how do you set up the situation where corruption will thrive? The answer is you set up a situation where nobody has to answer straight questions. You set up opaque situations, which is exactly what they've done with the VET system. It is completely opaque. You set up the possibility of public money being given to private providers and this was done when state aid was given to the religious schools in 1969. Direct grants, That's lead, that is on the downward slide to corruption. It was corrupt then, it's corrupt now and the VET is just an extension of that because private providers are not publicly accountable. Only public providers can be and are publicly accountable. And that's how it's done elsewhere. Once the taxpayers, once the Treasury is opened to privatisers, then you're going to have problems. It's very simple. It's common sense. It's basic democratic procedure. Our forefathers worked it out back in the 19th century. They didn't want to pay income tax, but once they had to pay income tax for education and other matters, in those days it was um, transport, then they wanted it to be publicly accountable. They were not prepared to pay taxes unless there was proper public accounting, and it's time we got back to that. And perhaps it's time taxpayers, ordinary taxpayers, said, you be accountable for our taxes. As for dropping corporate tax to 30%, it's irrelevant anyway because they don't pay taxes. The corporations know how not to pay taxes and until they do, we're going to have a revenue problem. You've been, strangely enough, listening to the Dogs Program. We're here to defend government schools. We're obviously, as Jane was saying, defending them against those um, silly corporations and various people who want to run our private providers, but we're also defending them against the vagaries of various religious organisations who want to get a bit of the public pie and take it off state schools. But we'll be back again next week here on the Dogs Program. If you're interested in what we have to, we have been saying and you want to take issue with us or indeed support us, um, please feel free. We have a website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, it's bye for now. I 
dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. Standing by my bed, they framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I. Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on. Organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your Mm-hmm.